back, folks. As always, I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM, Fred. And we have another great show for you here today. Uh, we're going to dive into some of the, the biggest games from last week. We're going to review and take a look at a week that, the, excuse me, the week ahead and what we're going to be seeing coming up. And then at the end, we're going to go through and take a look at some of the offseason acquisitions we've seen in the offseason and go through some of our favorite ones position by position. So make sure you tune into that. And as always, uh, make sure you hit subscribe on that button. We're always coming to you every week with some great stuff. But let's jump right into it here. So reflecting on week 10 and taking a look here, it just it didn't make any sense to me, any of the action that happened. And we're going to jump into the storylines here eventually, but I just wanted to mention that this was this is one of the worst weeks we've had picking games in a while. And uh, we're going to get back on track here, hopefully, but... It, in in the midst of all the chaos, I just wanted to to be completely transparent up front here. So the first storyline that I want to jump into though is going to be the Cowboys and the Falcons, and essentially how the Cowboys just completely bolt raced the Falcons. And the Cowboys won forty three to three. When you look at the box score, this guy this this team was winning thirty six to three at halftime. They had to call the dogs off in the second half, pretty much, the whole game. They could have played the backups, but this just wasn't much of a game. They doubled the Falcons' yardage. They had 431 yards to 214, and they dominated the time of possession. They had an extra 15 minutes, so it was 37 and three-quarters of a minute to 22-19. That's, that's just not even close. Like I don't know what happened to this Falcons team. This is a... This Falcons team was considered a playoff team heading into this week, like, and they just couldn't even stand on one leg against these guys. Um, the Cowboys looked like the team that I thought they were, not the team that played the Denver Broncos last week, and that's good just because that was kind of an anomaly last week. And this is the team that is a huge threat in the NFC if they play like this. I'm, I'm sure it, it had something to do with getting beat last week and having Dan, Dan Quinn come back to play the Falcons, but... Nonetheless, I I was impressed by this win, and I think it's a big win moving forward for the Dallas Cowboys. So that brings us into our second game, and the second game on our uh, best storylines is going to be the Patriots trouncing the Browns. And a, another story here of a a team that just didn't show up, and it's it's the Patriots beating the tar out of the Browns. Uh, this game ended up being forty-five to seven. It was never. It was not much of a game. I think Cleveland went down and scored on their opening drive, and after that, it was over. Uh, Patriots end up scoring like forty-five unanswered, and really, it's it's the same. Uh, another game, same situation here, where Patriots like outgained the Browns times two here. It's it's two hundred seventeen yards to four hundred fifty-two by the Patriots. And once again, they, they dominated the time of possession, beating uh, the Browns by another eight minutes. It's 26 to 34 minutes here. And really, yeah, they, they don't turn the ball over. And even the Browns didn't really turn it over. But when you think about the Browns, their entire offense is built around this heavy run game with some play action behind it. And when you get down by 30 points, 20 points, you get in real trouble just because you can't utilize the run game like you want to. You can't get the big chunk yardage plays like you want to do to kind of make up some of this ground. So basically when that happens, you get out a couple scores, uh, basically like three, two, three. They are almost without a range now, and 
this defense just didn't have an answer for the Patriots offense. Ramondre Stevenson, I, I know I tweeted this during the game since I was watching, but he looks like a whole other animal. I remember watching his tape this offseason of his stuff at Oklahoma there. And he looked huge. He looked like he was like this like 240 pound back, like almost like Brandon Jacobs reminiscent, but like not as in good of shape. Like he was kind of like thicker and he didn't, he looked kind of like a, I don't want to know what the word is here, but he just didn't look in shape. He didn't look like an NFL running back. And then he shows up and I swear to God, he looks like he's like 20, 20 pounds lighter now. And the guy looks like he's ready to play football. Like he looks athletic. He's like spitting off tackles. He's making jump cuts and stuff. I th- I was really impressed by him. I think Damian Harris should be legitimately concerned for his long-term job security. But nonetheless, the Patriots are re- for real. Uh, I had them going 11 and 6 this year and I'm definitely glad I had that out there in the world because they're going to do it. They're going to make the playoffs, and they're going to be a, a serious threat. I think Mac is hands down the leader in the clubhouse for the rookie of the year. Uh, he's the only rookie quarterback. He's the only rookie, really, that's on a team that's been really impressive. Uh, and he's kind of he's kind of leading the ship here. So Patriots getting their second storyline there. Next up is going to be the Panthers clipping the Cardinals. And this one is mainly a storyline for me is because I think a lot of us pronounced uh, the Carolina Panthers dead uh, a few weeks back after some of these Sam Darnold performances. And when you take a look at this one, it doesn't make sense because the Cardinals go out and they get a win last week against the Niners convincingly with their all, all these backups playing. So now you're saying, okay, they could probably do it again this week against the Panthers. The Panthers aren't as good. And then they go and lay an absolute egg against the Panthers. The Panthers end up winning 34-10. to 10. And once again, it's, a, it's another story of two different teams. It's 341 total yards to 169. And when you look at the time of possession, once again, they won by almost 15 minutes. And Panthers were over 50% on third down efficiency, which is huge. You're con- you're converting on over half of your attempts on third down, big time. And really, the turnover battle is even. But just complete domination again by the Panthers like you're looking at a team and they were up once again 23 nothing going into halftime this is not a game I think Colt McCoy ended up leaving with an injury so it didn't help that you had to have uh your backup to the backup playing but you got to be able to stop this team's offense like it's this hasn't even been a dynamic offense and I know they signed Cam Newton and Cam Newton is supposed to be a big part of this team moving forward but you're talking about Cam probably only played you know, eight snaps. And I mean, he made a pretty big impact for eight snaps, scored through for a touchdown and ran for one. But I mean, you got to be able to be an elite defense against PJ Walker. And I know Christian McCaffrey came back and that helps. But come on, it's PJ Walker now. This isn't, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. This isn't Lamar Jackson we're talking about. We're talking about the MVP of the XFL league here. He's a backup for the last couple years. And if you're going to be the number one seed in the NFC, which is what they were coming into the week, and you're going to be this elite playoff team, these are games you got to win. And they just, it was a complete no show and kind of opened the door for the Panthers to be the sneaky seven seed in the playoffs. So Panthers getting our third storyline there, which leads us into our fourth one. And our fourth storyline on the week is going to be the Packers stifling the Seattle Seahawks. And 
you can call me a homer on this one, but I think that this is a big statement game too, just because you look at it. And this Packers defense might be for real. This is, I, I might have been wrong on this. Um, I didn't really think that they were going to be that great. They're kind of returning a lot of the same pieces, and I know they had Joe, Joe Barry at the, the helm after leaving the St. Louis Rams scheme this past year. But, I mean, you're you're missing guys like Zadarius Smith, Jair Alexander. Uh, Eric Stokes has been beat up a little bit. Rashawn Gary's been beat up. Kenny Clark has been in and out of the lineup. And when we're looking at this stuff, they're still like a top five defense with all of these huge pieces out of their defense. And Devondre Campbell, and I'll be the first to admit I was wrong on this. I remember when they signed Devondre Campbell, and I just remembered some of his time at Atlanta. And it just, I don't remember him being like this impact side to sideline defender. It's maybe because he's playing next to Deion Jones, who's a lot faster. But just I don't remember being the him him being this huge impact defender. And in this defense, he is absolutely one of the key pieces. And he's been one of the, if not their best defensive player. So I've I mean, I'll take the loss on this one. This Packers defense might be legit and like I'm I'm cautious, but at the same time, they're definitely improved. They're not the bottom five defense we've seen in years past. They're if not a top they're not might not be a top five, but they're like top ten ish, top twelve ish. And that's okay. That's going to be good enough when you've got a guy like Aaron Rodgers running the offense. And speaking of which, Rodgers, you know, he looked a little rusty. He looked like a guy that hadn't practiced in two weeks, which is fine. And when they can lean on the run game like they did, and hopefully Aaron Jones, i seen that he has a MCL sprain. Hopefully that remains to be a, a minor issue, and he can come back pretty soon as well. But when you can lean on a run game with, like, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones like they did in this game, uh, that that's big time, especially when your quarterback's struggling. And Matt Matt Lafleur knows how to scheme up some uh, some run game action. And I was really impressed by this win. And on the flip side, the Seahawks just I I think they're done. I think they're they they they're three and seven, I believe now three and six. And it just it looks like they're done. It doesn't look like they have much left in the tank. I know Russ is just finally getting back, but you're looking at it as you got eight games left. And you'd have to like pretty much win at least seven of them eight in order to get into the playoffs. That puts you at ten and ten and seven, and that's that's a tall tor- That's a tall excuse me a tall tale to ask somebody, especially in the NFC West there. That's got just loaded with teams after the Forty ers took down the Rams this past week. So Packers winning seventeen to nothing, claiming the one seed, sole ownership. Going to be our fourth storyline. And that leads us into our last game. And I wanted to make sure I snuck this one in there just because I am so not understanding about any of this. And it's going to be the Steelers and the Lions just completely letting down the entire league. And that's going to be our fifth storyline. So Lions-Steelers, 16-16. And first I'll start off on the Lions side of things here. And the Lions just continue to find ways to... I won't say lose football games, but not win football games. Uh, the best part is, is I think they kind of had the right game plan here. I remember seeing that, like, DeAndre Swift, he ended up with 33 carries. I mean, you're getting this guy the ball 36 times a game. That's the that's the, the recipe for winning. He's your best offensive player. Good job getting him the ball. Now, let's let's win these football games. Let's stop turning the ball over. Let's... 
I suppose they they didn't turn it over, but like let's make some field goals. Let's let's win a football game. Let's rally the troops here. This Steelers team didn't even have Big Ben. You're playing against Mason Rudolph. Like if there's a time to do it, now's the time to do it. And I just I don't get it. And on the flip side, the Steelers, come on now. Like what are we doing? 16 points is enough. That's they got a good defense. That they didn't give up much here. But let, let's put something together offensively. It, it, it just can't be, let's feed Najee Harris the ball 27 times a game, 30 times a game, and, like, hopefully he can make something happen. That's that's not a game plan. That's just turning the ball around, or turning around and handing the ball off. So c- quite disappointed in this game. And really, I, I don't understand the tie. I've seen it a lot on Twitter uh, in the last couple days here, but I, I agree with it. I don't understand the tie. Why is there a tie in football? We don't have ties in, you know, high school football. You don't have ties in college football. Why do we have ties in the NFL? It doesn't make sense. Fix the rule. Change it. Add more time out of the clock. Change it all together. Do the college football rule. It doesn't matter. People don't like it. There's not one person that likes it. There's not one person that likes seeing a tie on someone's record. I don't get why this is still in place. Do the fans a service. Do the players a service. Do the entire league a service and get rid of ties. So for our honorary Jameis Winston, unlikely hero of the week, uh, we kind of went a lot of directions with him this week. There's a lot of upsets, a lot of big wins that we didn't see coming. And very well could have been Taylor Heineke again here. Uh, (laughs) The guy lit it up again and beat, you know, the defending champs. But I didn't really want to go a repeat guy. So when I'm looking at the slate of games and I'm looking all at what happened, I was really impressed by this guy. And I thought he had to do with a big part of what they did to win the football game. And that was Ramondre Stevenson. So Ramondre Stevenson was a fourth-round pick at Oklahoma. Plays running back for the New England Patriots. And he's an absolute tank. He kind of reminds me of a little bit smaller LeGarrette Blount out there. A little more athletic. And he ends up uh, really being the engine behind this Patriots win. He ended up with 20 carries, 100 yards, and two touchdowns, and really filled in for Davian Harris impressively. And when you think about what they want to do on offense, they want to limit the game for Mac Jones. They don't want to ask him to do too much, and that kind of starts with the run game there. You set up the pass with the run, and they really pounded the rock with Amandre Stevenson early, and it really helps set up some of these play-action shots, some of these uh suck the safeties up, suck the DBs up and the linebackers up to open up some of these down the field shots for Mac Jones in the in the middle of the field intermediary area and even on like the outside the deep shots. So I think that Ramondre Stevenson and I said this earlier in our first segment and it's I think he might be the guy there moving forward. I thought he looked really good. I thought he looked super athletic, like way more athletic than what you've seen him do at Oklahoma. And I just, he's huge. He's able to take the beatings. He's able to dish him out himself. And he runs hard. He runs angry. And honestly, I I thought he was the best running back in that backfield that I've seen yet this year. And Ramondre Stevenson was kind of the engine that led this W this last week. So he's going to take home the Jameis Winston Award this week. And congrats to Ramondre Stevenson. 
So heading into week 11 here, we're going to make our predictions for the week. But first, I just want to let everybody know our record. Like I said, full disclosure, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide it here. It was a bad week for us. We ended up going 4-10, and 10, and I basically took the tie as a loss just because we're picking winners. I'm not picking ties, so I'll take that one as a loss. I'm not going to have some 4-9-1 record. It was 4-10 and 10 this last week, so looking to get a little bit better, looking to get back on track here. I think we're starting to learn more about some of these teams. should make it a little bit easier. So for the Thursday night game this week, we got the Patriots at the Atlanta Falcons, and really, I, I don't see why this should be much of a football game that the main allure here is going to be the the Super Bowl rematch from a year a few years back but I just think that the Patriots are so, playing so much better than this this Atlanta Falcons team I think that they're going to do things defensively that Atlanta can't handle and I don't like this Atlanta defense I think they're extremely porous on that side of the ball they're giving up I mean they gave up 36 points to the Cowboys in two quarters so I mean that kind of highlights all you need to hear there so I'm going New England Patriots over the Atlanta Falcons on Thursday night football. Rolling right on into Sunday, we're taking a look at the next game, and it's going to be the Ravens at the Chicago Bears. And the Ravens got embarrassed, and they got a little bit of a mini-buy this last week against the Miami Dolphins on Thursday night last week. And I think they're going to come ready to play. And it's an, it's a matchup of the defenses here, in my opinion. And when I trust... Their de- I trust the Ravens' defense more than I trust the Chicago Bears' defense, mainly because of who they're going against. When you look at matchups, who's going to take away Lamar Jackson on this Chicago Bears' defense? Uh, Roquan Smith, maybe, is about the only guy that I would trust doing it. There's not one other guy on this defense I think that can take him away. And when you take away his legs, who's stopping him on the outside? Jalen Johnson? Okay, so that's going to take away one guy. But that's about it. I just, I don't trust the Chicago Bears defense, and I really don't trust the Chicago Bears offense. I think that they're going to send the house at Justin Fields just about every play. They're going to, what you've seen, you know, these teams that run these zero blitzes like Steve Spagnola did against Jordan Love and what uh, Miami did against Lamar last week. I think you're going to see a version of that, but it's going to be the the Baltimore Ravens defense, what they do every single week, because they run blitzes every single play. And I think they're going to light Justin Fields up. So I'm rolling Baltimore Ravens over to Chicago Bears here. Which takes us into the next noon game. It's going to be the Green Bay Packers at the Minnesota Vikings. And when I'm wa- watching this game, what I'm going to be looking for is, can this Green Bay defense stand up? another test here and the main reason is is I think this this offense is a lot better than any of they've seen in the last couple weeks so you might say oh the Kansas City offense they were kind of trying to still trying to figure it out at the time and they did this past week but against the Packers they hadn't quite figured it out and when you say oh they played Russ Wilson Russ Wilson might not have been able to grip a football two days before they played the football game and that because of this injury with his hand. And I just don't, I'm still not a believer that he was spinning the football right last week. So I think that this will be a true test. You're going up against Kirk Cousins, who, yeah, he's not the top of his game, but he can engineer a pretty good offense. And then you got Dalvin Cook and you got Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. It's, it's an extremely scary offense when they're really rolling. So I think it'll be another true test. And we all know that divisional opponents get it up each week for each other. So, 
I'm going to go Green Bay Packers still. I think that this Minnesota Vikings defense isn't quite as good as the Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to look a lot better with a full week of practice underneath his belt, getting back in a groove with some of these guys on offense. And I think we're going to see a heavy dosage of A.J. Dillon. He's going to be a, he's going to be a monster in this game. And they're really going to try to set up some of the pass with his run. So Green Bay Packers over the Minnesota Vikings. Which takes us to the Indianapolis Colts at the Buffalo Bills. And really, this game on paper is probably going to look a lot better than it's going to actually be. Uh, the Colts, I believe, are like 4-5 and five right now. 4-6. and six, And the Buffalo Bills are 6-4. and four. Right around there. I apologize if I'm wrong on those records. I don't have the standings pulled up right away. Oh, my apologies. I do now. Buffalo Bills, 6-3. and three. Indianapolis Colts 5-5, five and five, so that's pretty close. But nonetheless, I think this is game's going to look a lot better on paper than what it's actually going to be. Uh, the Bills trounced the Jets last week, 45-17, and the Colts were struggling with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that that's what gives me pause here, is just because the Jaguars don't have much of an offense, and they were still within scoring distance here of making it a, a tied football game. So I'm going to roll with the Buffalo Bills. I think they're going to beat them pretty easily. Uh, I, I don't think that this Indianapolis offense is as good as this Buffalo defense. Uh, the Indianapolis defense, on the other hand, might be something to be, you know, take note of, might keep them in this football game. But I still just think Josh Allen's way too good. Even when on his worst days, he's better than some of these quarterbacks in the league. So Buffalo Bills over the Indianapolis Colts. Taking us to the Detroit Lions at the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Browns have had a real rough go over the last few weeks. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on with Baker Mayfield. He's very clearly injured. And honestly, they might have one of the better backup situations in the league with Case Keenum, a guy that's proven he can do it at the highest level. But really, I think this is more of a note of like what what's what's going on with the Cleveland Browns here. Like, I know that their running backs have been out. Dearness Johnson still looked pretty good last week, but they got to be able to right the ship here pretty soon if they have plan on any making excuse me plan on making any noise in the playoffs and i think this is a good week for them to do it i think that they're going to catch a detroit lions team that's coming off a tie and really still looking for their identity they ran the ball a ton which plays right into cleveland's hand they have a really good run defense up front and i just think that the cleveland browns are going to get it right this week they're going to get back on the winning track they're going to get some of these guys back in the backfield. Uh, hopefully they can figure out a solution for this this Baker Mayfield mess that's been going on back there. The guy's playing with a tweaked knee, a broken like shoulder, and like this torn labrum. Like the guy's just beat up. Just like let the guy rest, shut him down, let K- Case Keenum manage this offense. And I think that they're going to do that this week. I'm taking the Browns over the Detroit Lions. And then the showdown of the the Ron Rivera Bowl here, his current team versus his former, the Washington football team versus the Carolina Panthers. The football team gets a huge win out of completely nowhere last week. They end up taking down the defending champions, and they go from two and six, and now they're three and six. And the Carolina Panthers now five and five, just knocking on the outside of the outside door of the playoffs. And which team are we going to get from each one of these? Are we going to get the Washington football team that? plays tough and hangs with teams and you know could beat teams like the defending world champs or are we going to get the the washington football team that no shows and gets ran and passed all over on in their defense 
Uh, looks like Chase Young's going to be sidelined for the year, so that really sucks for their defense as well, too. But I think that they got enough guys in that front that they can try to overcome it. But I don't think it's going to be enough. I don't think that they're really going to be a true threat. And I'm taking the Carolina Panthers. Uh, even with Cam Newton making his first start, most likely. I know he's getting paid a lot of money like he's starting, so I'm assuming he's going to start. But now that they got Christian McCaffrey back, they got Cam Newton, hopefully he can manage the game a little bit better than Sam Darnold, get it to some of these receivers on the outside like DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrence Marshall Jr. Because I think the opportunity is going to be there against this this Washington defense that's now minus Chase Young. So I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers over the Washington football team. With our next AFC South showdown, it's going to be the Houston Texans at the Tennessee Titans. And the Tennessee Titans, I I mean, I'll round of applause for them right now just because I, I don't know how they keep doing it. They are now one of the best defenses in the league, apparently, after looking terrible the first six weeks. And they don't have Derrick Henry, who is, I mean, honestly made a case for himself as the MVP until all of this mess. And they're still winning football games. They're still beating good football teams. So I've read some stat that, like, their five wins are against, like, the Kansas City Chiefs and, like, the Baltimore – or not the Baltimore Ravens. But, like, all these good football teams. And, like, all of their losses are against bad ones, like the New York Jets. So, like, I don't – like, what's going on here? So in this AFC South showdown, I don't think that there's any way that they're going to lose to the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans are a mess. I honestly think that they're on paper worse than the Detroit Lions, but the Detroit Lions keep getting a bad shake at it here. So I'm going to take the Tennessee Titans in this one, obviously. They're going to continue to control the AFC South and really the AFC as a whole if, if they can keep getting teams like this. Which takes us to our next game. It's going to be the San Francisco 49ers at the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Jaguars looked pretty good. They they hung with the Indianapolis Colts for the most part, and they had a big drive at the end to try to take the lead. Couldn't capitalize. Colts got the win. And on the flip side, you're looking at a 49ers team that really beat the tar out of a, a good Los Angeles Rams team. And it was kind of really surprising to me. It, it, they really wasn't much of a game. They ended up winning 31-10. to 10. Uh, it's a three-score game. So I'm, I'm going to just go with the better football team here. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm going to go San Francisco 49ers. I think that they're also one of them fringe playoff teams. That I believe they're sitting at – oh, excuse me. I was I was like choking there for a second. But they're sitting at like four and six, five and five there. And I really think that they can kind of take control of their destiny. Uh, they can – excuse me, I apologize – they can control their own destiny. They can get back into that playoff race here. And just to confirm it, they are 4-5. and five, So they're really going to be able to make a run at it here. I think that they're a lot better than what their record looks. Uh, I actually picked them to win the NFC West in the preseason. And I think that they're going to finally get this run game going. They're going to get Jimmy uh, managing the football game. And this defense is going to get healthy. And they're going to get after people. So I'm taking the San Francisco 49ers over the Jacksonville Jaguars, which takes us to the most unwatchable game of the week. And I know every week we say this, and this game, it definitely is going to hold true. It's going to be the Miami Dolphins at the New York Jets. And we're talking about a tale of football teams that have a grand total of about four to five wins out of 20. And this is a game 
flip a coin and see who shows up. This New York Jets defense has looked a lot better as of late. But we're also talking about a Miami Dolphins defense that looks better and shut down Lamar Jackson last week. What's going on with Miami's quarterback situation? If you have an answer, I'm more than willing to listen to it because I don't understand what they're doing. Uh, apparently, two is good enough to be the backup or healthy enough to be the backup, but not start the football game. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, Jacoby Brissett's not the answer long term there. And I just feel bad for some of these guys on this team. Jalen Waddle is an extremely bright spot in this offense, and they just can't seem to utilize him the correct way. They can't seem to score points. This defense can't hold up all the time, and they get beat. But, you know, then they look great against Lamar Jackson, who's, in my opinion, one of the presumptive favorites for the MVP. I don't get it. And for the New York Jets, Mike White, the the saga was it was great while it lasted, but it's not lasted much longer. Uh, I think they said that Zach Wilson has a shot to play in this one, and I'm pretty sure when he comes back, it's going to be his gig. So I'm taking the home team here. I'm going to go to New York Jets over the Miami Dolphins uh, just because I don't really have much reasoning else for it. It's going to be a very unwatchable game, and I like the upside with Zach Wilson being able to throw some big shots down the field. And the last noon game is going to be the New Orleans Saints at the Philadelphia Eagles. And, I mean, don't look now, but the Philadelphia Eagles are kind of making a playoff push here. I believe they're sitting at like 4-6, and 4-5, and five, another one of those teams hovering right around that 500 record, playing for that 7 seed. And the New Orleans Saints took a really tough loss last week to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, had a shot to tie it on a two-point conversion, and they don't get it. So I'm just going to go with the better football team here. I think the Saints are all around a better coach football team. And Trevor Simeon, I mean, looked pretty good last week from what I was seeing. And honestly, he looked almost better than what Drew Brees looked last year in the same Sean Payton offense. Uh, hopefully they can get Alvin Kamara back too. He's a big part of their offense. And if they can get him back, uh, get some of that running game rolling a little bit more. Mark Ingram didn't do a bad job, but he's not the same type of athlete that Kamara is. So in that case, I'm going to take the New Orleans Saints. I think that they're better coached. I think they're a better overall football team on both sides of the ball. I think it's going to show on Sunday. The first 3 o'clock game is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals at the Las Vegas Raiders. And the Raiders is another team is that just got completely embarrassed on Sunday night football. End up losing like 44-17. to And the Bengals were on a bye. So they're going to have an extra week to prepare for them here. And I think that's going to pay off. I think that this Raiders team is kind of losing their identity and kind of losing some of the luster we've seen early in the season. And I think Joe Burrow and company is really going to make a statement here, and they're going to take home a win on Sunday. Bengals over the Raiders. And honestly, this might be the game of the week, and I'm really actually interested in watching this one. It's going to be the Dallas Cowboys at the Kansas City Chiefs. And on paper, this is going to be an absolute shootout. These two teams score points, and they score them in bunches. I know Kansas City struggled for a couple weeks, but you've seen them throw up 44 last week, and they looked like the Kansas City of old. And on the flip side of it, Dak Prescott might be the MVP of this league if the Cowboys keep winning football games. And I've been really impressed. They only have a couple losses on the year. One of them was a fluke loss to a Denver team that didn't make a lot of sense to us at the time, and the other one is to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So... This Cowboys team, I think, is legit, and I think that this Kansas City team's figuring it out right at the right time. So it, it's mostly a toss-up here, but I'm going to go with the Cowboys. I'm more impressed with what they can do defensively with takeaways on that side of the ball. 
and doing just enough to win football games so that this offense could be an absolute juggernaut. And I think that they're going to do just that against Kansas City. So give me Dak and the boys against the Kansas City Chiefs. The next game is going to be an NFC West showdown, and it's going to be the Arizona Cardinals at the Seattle Seahawks. And when I'm taking a look at this one, it's it's a very tough game to predict, not knowing Kyler Murray's status. If Kyler Murray's playing this football game, I'm taking the Cardinals by multiple scores. If he's not playing this football team, I'm taking Russell Wilson. So knowing that in mind and how the Cardinals have played as of late, I think I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks to win this game. I think it's going to be a little bit of a trap game. They're going to get back home at Seattle there, playing in front of the 12s. And I think it's going to be a tough game for Arizona to win. They're kind of reeling right now. And I think that Seattle's going to be able to take advantage of that. So I'm going to Seattle with Russ at the helm, playing with DK, playing with Tyler Lockett. It sounds like Chris Carson might be back soon going against this Cardinals defense that's extremely beat up and that they don't really seem to have many answers right now. And then the Sunday night football game is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Los Angeles Chargers. And another team that's been reeling as of late is this Chargers team. They looked like one of the darlings of the football season early in the year. And lately they've just been getting completely uh, outclassed by pretty much every team they play. Uh, last week happened to be the Minnesota Vikings. And on the flip side of this, we're looking at a Pittsburgh Steelers team that just tied the worst team in the entire league in the Detroit Lions. So I'm guessing they're probably going to get Big Ben back off of the COVID list. So they'll have a little bit more, to, um, little more, I guess, on offense there. So the Pittsburgh should be improved on offense. Hopefully they can find a way to get Justin Herbert the ball down, get him pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. I've seen a shot chart from him this past week, and it's everything's within five to ten yards, and that's just not his skill set. He's got this big arm. He's got these great, he's got great feet outside the pocket. Let's move up outside the pocket. Let's get him to take some large, larger shots down the field. Get Mike Williams and Keenan Allen a little bit more involved, and. I think this is going to be a tale of this Chargers offense versus this Pittsburgh defense. This Pittsburgh defense is legit. They consistently are uh, excuse me, ready to play football games and able to hold teams to low scoring totals, low yardage totals, get some turnovers, and T.J. Watt making a very serious case for defensive player of the year. And I think that's the showdown you want to see against this young quarterback and Justin Herbert and this running attack with Austin Eckler and what they're able to do through the air with some of those receivers I mentioned previously. So I think that's going to be a, a huge, huge matchup there. And I'm, I'm going to go with the Chargers at home here. I know they don't really have a home crowd just with how their fan base or how opposing teams' fan bases travel to their place. But I just think that they're a better football team overall. I don't like what the Pittsburgh Steelers do on offense. I don't think they do enough. I think that they, they ride Najee Harris too much and don't have much of a passing attack to, to counter it with. So give me the Los Angeles Chargers at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the last game of the week, it's going to be the New York Giants at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And don't look now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have lost like two out of their last three and are ex- looking extremely wounded on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, on the offensive side, they're still missing Gronk and A.B. Hopefully they can get healthy here soon and rejoin the team. But I just don't see this team losing to a Joe Judge uh, New York Giants team. This Giants team is going to – they're playing real ugly football right now. And I think that Tampa Bay can really expose their defense and really score some points on them. 
Now, on the flip side of the ball, this Tampa Bay defense versus this New York Giants offense is one that gives me a little bit of concern, especially if Saquon can play this week, because it sounds like they're going to be without Vita Vea. They're missing three of their top cornerbacks, uh, but everybody else is still intact. I think that'll be enough to to limit the New York Giants on offense, <clears throat> but it might not be enough to win the football game. Uh, excuse me there, I just had to clear my throat. But I think that this, this Tampa Bay offense is just so dynamic when Tom is really firing on all cylinders. He's really hitting his throws in rhythm. I think that they could do a lot of great things on that side of the ball, and I think it's going to be too much for the Giants. So give me Tampa Bay over the New York Giants. So as always, make sure you follow along. Make sure you let us know your picks. Make sure you let us know if our picks are ridiculous like they were last week. And we'll just keep bringing them each week in, week in and week out. And maybe I'll put a little bit of cheddar on the game this week. So for our last segment here today, I wanted to do something with Pro Bowl voting, but I think we're going to save that for next week. So I decided to do the top uh, off-season acquisitions for each position in the NFL, kind of who stood out and kind of who was one of the high or major pieces that were added that are contributing to their team. So that could be via trade, that could be via free agency excuse me, free agency signing, or it could be via draft pick. So who's made the biggest impact? And we're gonna start the segment off with quarterbacks and I'm gonna say Matt Stafford. I feel like this one's pretty easy. There wasn't a lot of impact quarterbacks shuffled around this past year. And Matt Stafford's definitely been the highlight one of everybody. He's currently standing at 3,014 yards with 24 touchdowns and 8 picks. And really where I think the most impressive thing is is going to be yards per attempt where he's trying to push the ball down the field for the the Rams more so than what Jared Goff did. And you're looking at about a number that's at 8.3. I think he's a huge part of why the Rams' ceiling is a lot higher than it's been in the past. I think everybody would agree with that. His ability under Sean McVay is going to be able to take them further than Jared Goff ever would have been able to. And it's kind of very evident about how all in they're going with this team. So he's going to be the first one. Uh, We had an honorable mention. It was going to be Mac Jones. And uh, I think Mac Jones is pretty good, but I don't want to go into too much depth there. So next up, it's going to be running backs. And for the running backs, they're... You know, we all know that they're about a dime a dozen when it comes to acquiring a running back for your team. And really... This season was no different. Uh, there's a normally this would be like a a rookie one, and it's it's tough not to pick Najee Harris here. But I decided to go a different route just because this guy was having quite the last few weeks here. And he's been super impactful for for his team while his quarterback's been on. I went James Conner, and uh, James Conner currently has 125 rushes, 493 yards, and he's currently sitting at 11 touchdowns on the year, which is a pretty crazy number. And uh, in terms of receiving, you're seeing the guy that has 13 catches for 136 yards and one touchdown. So I, I think that's a pretty pretty solid set of numbers for a guy that we were kind of expecting to be washed up when he first got to the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals currently only have two losses on the year, still in the driver's seat in the NFC West. So it's he's making an impact on an uh, important team in the NFL at the current moment. So I, I really like James Conner. I think he was he was a pretty good steal for the Arizona Cardinals, and he compliments Chase Edmonds very well. So the next position here is going to be wide receivers, and this one I ended up going with a rookie on, and I went with Jamar Chase, uh, the rookie for the, excuse me, the, the Cincinnati Bengals. 
And really, Jamar Chase is having an extremely impact rookie season. Uh, he's really having a standout year like Justin Jefferson did in last year. And you're looking at a guy that's got 44 receptions, 835 yards, and seven touchdowns, which is just crazy banana land numbers when you think about it. Um, he's going to eclipse 1,000 yards maybe this week or the week after at this pace. And Really, I mean, that, that sets him at, he's he's on pace for like 1,500 yards. And I, I know I have this piece I've been working on for a while. I'm just getting, finding time to get finish it off and get it out there for everybody. But, like, his effect on this offense, I totally misjudged this. I was in the party of, I thought that they should have took an offensive lineman. Uh, but it turns out when you spread it out, you let Joe Burrow deal, he can do it. I mean, he might get hit a few times, but... His his connection with Jamar Chase is real. This they they're kind of still got that college connection that they had when they were at LSU, and they're able to take these huge shots down the field. And Jamar Chase has looked super physical after the catch. So I've been really really impressed with uh, Jamar Chase as a rookie here. And uh, it was tough to find even an honorable mention for this one. So it was a good thing Jamar Chase stood out. But our honorable mention was Kendrick Bourne, who's been having a pretty solid season over there in New England. So next up, we're going to do tight ends. And currently for the tight ends, uh, the guy that's standing out in this uh, free agent class that's been a big-time impact for his offense is going to be Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry has 31 catches, 353 yards, 7 touchdowns at, currently as it stands for New England. And really, he's been an extremely reliable safety valve for Mac Jones in the middle of this field as he's able to kind of survey process hit the check down and his his go-to has been Hunter Henry uh, Ken, like I mentioned before Kendrick Bourne's kind of been a big piece for them as well too uh, when you have you know 15 offseason acquisitions you, you might have one or two guys on this list for us here but uh, Hunter Henry I, th- I think has hands down been the better acquisition over John U. Smith uh, I just think that his ability as a receiver really makes him dynamic, and I think they're really being able to maximize him there in New England. Uh, our honorable mention for tight ends is going to be Kyle Pitts, just because uh, he's really come on in the last few weeks here for the Falcons. He's really defined a role with Calvin Ridley being out. So it was a good choice for our, our runner-up. So the most impactful offensive lineman that was acquired in the offseason and this is the one I'm going to go with. I I was digging around trying to see who we could find here. And I found Corey Lindsley, the center for the Los Angeles Chargers. And he's consistently been one of the highest graded offensive linemen by PFF year in and year out. And I think he was like 86 last year. And he's currently at this year sitting at 85.5. He's really been a big piece, him and Rashawn Slater, of anchoring that offensive line to really protect up. Justin Herbert and it's kind of hit the back burner as the Chargers have kind of faltered down the the stretch here but it's a big piece of why they're so good this year is they're being able to keep him upright so I went with Corey Lindsley as our most impactful offensive lineman signed in the offseason the runner-up we had was a uh, Joe Tooney who's also having a really solid year for the Kansas City Chiefs as they get hot as well so next up is going to be uh, edge defenders and for edge defenders who I ended up going with was going to be Matt Judon and like I said when you have you know 15 acquisitions by the Patriots in the offseason a couple of them are going to be able to make our list here 
So Majidan, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> is coming over from Baltimore where he was a starter for a few years. He plays that outside linebacker, edge defender role. And he's currently sitting at uh, 37 tackles with nine and a half sacks on the year, 10 tackles for a loss. And really, he's been one of the best edge defenders in all of the NFL. And at the time, it was kind of, it was a head scratcher. Like, do they need another edge defender? They got a couple of these young guys. And you, you can bet Bill Belichick knew what he was doing. This guy is an absolute stud. He's at the top of his powers right now. And he's really just been able to get after it and help bring this New England Patriots defense back to prominence. I've been really impressed by just their defense as a whole and specifically Matt Judon and his impact he's had on the game for that team. So Matt Judon is going to be our pick there for edge defenders. Our runner-up was going to be Hassan Reddick, who's also having a very solid year, but I don't think he's quite at the same level Matt Judon was. So next up is going to be off-the-ball linebackers. And our off-the-ball linebackers, this is a tough one. I couldn't really find a lot of guys that signed in the offseason that were impact players or rookies that were impact players. But I ended up falling on uh, Matt Milano. So just a little pretext here. Uh, Matt, Matt Milano was a free agent. He basically had the option to go anywhere else, ended up re-signing with the Buffalo Bills. And for anybody that says that doesn't count for this exercise, he technically was on the open market. Uh, I didn't include franchise tag guys just because they never really hit the open market. They got tagged before they could. So Matt Milano is going to be our off-the-ball linebacker. He's currently sitting at, oh, excuse me, 40 tackles. Wow, I really struggled there. I don't know what was going on. 40 tackles with one sack, two fumble recoveries, and three passes defense on the year. And he's been an anchor inside the middle of that Buffalo Bills defense and really is a big piece of calling their plays and what their identity is there on that side of the ball as they continue to be one of the top five defenses in the NFL. So Matt Milano staying there long-term, being able to run with tight ends down the seam and play the run has been a huge part of what they're, they're looking to do on the defensive side of the ball. So as we move to the next position here, it's going to be cornerbacks and just uh, full transparency here. We're going to finish the show from the, the mobile unit here as I got my notes in front of me. But uh, for the cornerbacks and the safeties, this are, these are the two toughest positions, I thought, in my mind, just because it's so hard to find an impact player in free agency because most of the time, if you have a really good corner, he's not going to hit the open market. Same with safe. or safeties, it's just more like a running back. They're kind of more dime a dozen. You do have the few top, at the top end that make a huge difference on your defense. But just in general, it's, it's just hard to find a guy that's going to be a, a big-time difference maker on your defense. So I went with Chidobi Awuzie, the cornerback for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, this Bengals defense has been extremely improved over the year here. And it's been reflected in their stats. I, I believe they're still a top 10 defense in the league. I know they were idle last week got a bye. But this year, Chidobi Awuzie has been a lockdown corner for them. And a big part of what they're trying to do on the defensive side of the ball. I know he's only got one interception. I think he's got like eight passes defense, I believe, here. And I think when you look at what they were what they're facing here, William Jackson ended up leaving going to Washington via free agency, and that was a big hit. So they went on, they made a move for Chidobia Uzier, and he's really stood out. He's really made he stepped up 
and been the replacement for him in a big way on that side of the ball. So that's why he's my most impactful uh, corner that was acquired in the offseason here. For an honorable mention, I, I for how much I hate to say this, it was Kevin King. Kevin King has been a really impactful defender for the Packers lately, so I'm not going to go too far into depth there just because I'm not a big fan of Kevin King. But for safeties, like I said, this is also an extremely difficult position to sele- uh, select for impact offseason additions. But I ended up going with John Johnson, the uh, safety for the Cleveland Browns. And John Johnson has been a a spark plug for that defense as well, too. I, I know he doesn't grade out well on PFF. But when you take a look at it, I believe he's got like 34 tackles. And then he's also got two interceptions. And really, he's kind of like this do-it-all jack-of-all trades. You can play him like a dimebacker. You can play him deep. I think they more so use him up more closer to the line of scrimmage, kind of like a, a, a traditional strong safety. But when you look at him, he was one of the the, the the crown pieces of this free agent class coming over from Los Angeles. It was, he was one of the the guys that Los Angeles just couldn't keep, they couldn't pay to keep in the house there. And he's been a huge uh, impact on the Cleveland defense. He's the leader on that defense. And it's been a big piece of why they've been improved as well over this year. Uh, I know they haven't looked at it as great as of late. Uh, nobody look at the New England Patriots game. That was a bloodbath. But, uh, He's still a great defender, and in my mind, he's still one of the best safeties in the game, and he was a huge addition for the Cleveland Browns. So that's going to be it for this segment. Uh, let us know your thoughts on it. Let us know if we missed anybody. Uh, as always, uh, we always appreciate the feedback. That's going to be it for this week's show. I really appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, as always, feel free to subscribe and tune into us each week. Like I said, we always come out with a podcast. Either it's Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning. Uh, next week we're going to have another great show for you. As always, we're going to review the, the week prior, and we're going to take a look at the week in advance. And like I said, I think we're going to try to get into some of the Pro Bowl voting stuff. I'm going <laughs> to go through my ballot and who I selected and why. So we appreciate everybody tuning in again, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>